Hello and welcome to the Intrafish Podcast, where we discuss the most compelling seafood news from the desks of Intrafish journalists. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by a full suite of journalists. We have Nina Unlai in London, Demi Corbin in London, Lola Navarro in London, and John Evans down in Brazil. Hello, everybody. We'll dive right in. Nina, I want to start with you. You uh, did a couple really interesting stories. Uh, you talked to um, Thai Union and Min Phu, the Vietnamese uh, shrimp supplier. And you've been covering uh, certification and sustainability for the uh, past few weeks. Um, tell us a little bit about the challenges that they're trying to address in terms of getting smaller scale producers certified. Because this is largely... It's been a long-term challenge that um, basically sustainability and certification has been um, something that companies that can afford it are able to do, and all these smaller-scale producers can't do it. So what are Thai Union and MinFu trying to do to address it? Um, so basically, well, they're working with the same model called the Partnership Assurance Model, which I think was launched about a month ago. Um, and it has a lot of different stakeholders involved. But basically what it's doing is exactly what you said, is that they're trying to involve the small scale farmers and the fisheries in a way that isn't being addressed in the certification models. Because the certification models have so far been great for the big companies that can afford it. Um, but it has sort of been a barrier to trade for those that are much smaller. Um, and I think that's what this this assurance model is trying to do by working mostly with a lot of like NGOs and local government units. So the approach they're taking is really that they're trying to make more regional standards, which has been a criticism of like the bigger certification bodies is that they don't take into account certain regional um, specifications or standards. So that's what this model is trying to to do. I don't know how they're trying to do that specifically yet, but basically what MinFu is trying to do is work with 20,000 small-scale farmers who own about like a few hectares each. And those 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 obviously add up to like a very big, um, very big area. Um, and they're trying to use this model to basically get them sustainable in a way that's more scalable. Because normally if you were to go the traditional approach, then you would be certifying each small scale farmer that's like what three to five hectares each individually and that just like ramps up in costs and resources and it's just not possible so that's what the model kind of does um thai union is not doing anything specifically yet but they are one of the partners um in this model and i think they're they're currently in the phase when they're where they're assessing sites and they're trying to decide where they're going to take it first and they're primarily looking at places in southeast asia which is where most of the uncertified areas come from. There was a statistic that said that six per, only 6% at this point is being addressed um, by the sustainable certification model. So that's basically what they're trying to cover, everything else. Yeah, I mean, I think that's long been an issue and a problem for, for the aquaculture industry in particular, um, but also in fisheries. Um, and I know MSC and uh, ASC and GAA, the alphabet soup of certification groups, have been trying to address it, but it's a massive challenge because, again, I know 
we, we've got all these groups that they go onto the ground uh, with good intentions or because that's where they've got the, uh, the financing and the grants to do it. Um, but what they run into are uh, some very specific, uh, as you said, Nina, challenges on the ground. And things like paperwork can be overwhelming for small-scale aquaculture producers because it's expensive and they don't have mm-hmm. the staff to, um, to, to uh, put together all this documentation that, that's required. Yeah, paperwork is basically the big challenge that Minfu highlighted in what they're basically in what they're doing right now because they are working with twenty thousand small scale farmers, and like that means that every time someone comes into the project or a change is made by one single farmer, then it, it's another load of paperwork. So they're trying to fi- they're trying to work with the government right now to figure out a way that 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 doesn't have to be the case and that they can actually scale this thing much quicker because it has been in the works apparently for about three years now, and that has been the biggest challenge. So, okay, well, let's move uh, down to the uh, Antarctic. Let's move down to Antarctica. Uh, Demi, um, the krill fishery is a fascinating one, and it's, uh, it's one that's been controversial because it's been a challenge to regulate. It's been a challenge to... Uh, for for researchers to get their mind around the biomass down there because it's massive, and there's only a handful of companies now that are uh, are actually harvesting down there. One of them is uh, Acker Biomarine, which is owned by a Norwegian billionaire, uh, Shelling Aruka, and they've had some success um, getting the technology right and getting the harvesting right and being able to to produce um, commercialized products out of it. But it remains a challenge kind of balancing the uh, all the different stakeholders that are interested in that region. So you talked to uh, Aquabia Marine's new sustainability uh, executive. And what did she have to say about how they're, how they're managing that? Before I move into what she said, um, I just wanted to highlight, just like you said, krill, the krill fishery is a reduction fishery and it's really highly regulated. And just to paint the picture, the, the total allowable catch is just 1%. So that's really, really, really low. And even though it's 1%, Acrobiomarine and other companies don't even reach that total allowable catch. So so there's a lot of room for them and potential to grow within the bounds of that quota. So in uh, earlier this year, they hired um, a sustainability executive just because they feel that it doesn't stop at technology, but there's a big dialogue about sustainability, even though they're always rated A in terms of sustainability and they can prove to be very sustainable. So what's happening is that the main stakeholders that they do talk to are non-governmental organizations like Greenpeace, who actually attacked them kind of last year. And they, they, that led to creating a, uh, a zone where they can't harvest when penguins are breeding. But other stakeholders they also discuss the issue with are scientists, because since the Antarctic is not very accessible to everyone, then this way they kind of launch sort of their own vessels for scientists to run their research and understand more about everything that's happening within that ecosystem. 
So they're, they're driving a lot of initiatives towards becoming more sustainable or promoting sustainability, not within just their own company, but with the industry in itself and every stakeholder that's surrounding them as well. So it sounds like it, at least with some of these changes and some of these efforts that the health of the krill fishery is, a, at least it's a little bit more understood maybe than it was a decade ago or 20 years ago. Well, they claim it's very healthy and it's doing very good. So I think it was a, it's, it's controversial in the sense that they're, they're, it's a marine protected area. And as such, non-governmental organizations are kind of wary about such issues. But as a stock, it's very healthy. And as a fishery, it's very healthy. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the update there. Let's stay uh, down south um, Lola, can you give us an update on Nova Austral? It's been quite a saga, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse uh, for them. Um, but uh, but what's the latest, and what's the what's the outlook? It's not good, right? That's fair to say. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair to say. I've been talking to a lot of people uh, in Chile on background, and and there is one thing clear that they that there is a lot of questions that uh, still need to be answered by the company. Um, the last thing that we know officially is, uh, is from the company's top executives, including the chairman and the, and the new head of sales and, and operations, um, uh, who held a bondholder call last week. Um, they didn't say much here. The problem, I think, from my perspective, I heard everything they said, they were given an update on the internal investigations. There were three points that were raised um, during these updates that were given by Maria Gonzalez, who is with Groves and Gray, which is uh, leading the internal investigation of the company. The three points were the admission of guilt of misreports, immortalities. Then another one was, the, was that they admitted that they had misreported biomass in the water. So this is an important point because if we go back to what the company said at the beginning, when the claims came <clears throat> came to light first, uh, they were they were just they were saying pretty much that they hadn't lied about mortalities, and also they said that it was impossible pretty much for them to lie about mortalities because obviously, uh, one once you once you give the the number of or the levels of stocking and then you give the levels of harvesting and the levels of mortality, uh, those numbers need to add up, let's say. But now there was an admission of also lying about the biomass uh, levels in the water, which um, obviously it was a clear sign that the company had been lying all along. But this is all known. There was another thing that was found out after uh, the the initial investigation by Cernapesca, which was the the possible mm, alteration of the seabed. And these are all things that are now in the hands of the court. And, and there is going to be a slow, de slow development here. But yeah, like you're saying, it's definitely, um, it's definitely looking bad. After, after that, I talked to Jose Fernandez, who is the superintendent for the region of the Magallanes and the Antarctica. And he was telling me that um, the company is facing the loss of the subsidies that they have. They are the only ones to have these subsidies under the Tierra del Fuego and the Navarino laws. And these subsidies uh, mean that the company doesn't pay any tax on income and also they receive back 20% of the revenues every year, I think on a quarterly basis. So this is millions of dollars a, 
a year, and they are they're at risk of, 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 of losing this. I think the, the main factor that's being considered here is the impact that this will have on the workforce and, and obviously by extension on the community, which is a very small community that relies on salmon farming and Nova Australia is precisely the main the main employer in the region. So mm, yeah, so that's that's what's happening. And and I think, like I was saying, I think there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered. I don't think they answered to every question during during that um, call. They they stuck to their to their statement that they haven't produced um, salmon with any antibiotics. So all their salmon is antibiotic free, and I think that is um, that is them trying to leave the other bits of this of this whole issue aside. The, the problem here has been that they've lied about biomass, that they've lied about mortalities. And, and, and this is a fraud because the entire, because the entire um, aquaculture and salmon farming system in, in, in the whole country is based, is based on these uh, parameters. And if they're lying about this, they shouldn't have been, well, they potentially wouldn't have been able to farm or at least to farm at the levels they were, they were, they were doing it. And, and obviously, this would have had a lot of, of impact on the financial results of the company, um, which which in turn affect um, investors. So I think there are questions that they are just avoiding, and and they will have to be answered. I don't know how long it's going to take. I think from now, I think a lot has happened over the past three weeks, but I think we're going to see a very very slow development from now on because they're being very careful but um, this is definitely not over there is a lot more to be to be found out here and to be discovered here so yeah we're just all uh, wanting to see what what they have to say is there is there a growing sense that this could be uh, a major turning point for magallanes that the, that this will actually um, jeopardize other people's plans in the in the region they are trying. Um, they are trying to be very, very quiet. I haven't been able to speak with anybody from other companies. They are only speaking through the Association of Salmon Farmers, Salmon Chile, which uh, Nova Australia is not part of. So I think they're trying to dissociate themselves from this issue completely. Uh, we've spoken about Magallanes a, a lot, and we've said how how suitable uh, the region is for salmon farming in terms of uh, oceanic conditions and so on. But um, there is a sense that this is a turning point for Nova Austral, that's for sure. There is, uh, there is fear in the market, there is uncertainty. And, and like I said, everyone else is trying to dissociate themselves from this. And, and not, they're, they're not trying to, <clears throat> to talk about the region that much. If, if, you, if you look at the press reports in Chile, they, they are not generalizing at the moment. They're mostly talking about Nova Stral and the management in the company. So I think they're being quite careful. There is also fear among workers in the area that this could, that this could be <clears throat> a major problem for, for employment there. So I think people are being quite cautious in talking about this and generalizing. I think they're not doing that. But, um, but yeah, there, there is definitely a sense that um, that this is negative for the entire industry, not only in Magallanes, also in also in the rest of, of the Patagonia, in the in the other two regions where they farm, where salmon farmers farm. So it's it's definitely negative, uh, but people are not being so 
so against uh, salmon farmers in Magallanes. They, it's it's going against Novostrol mainly. Well, I think in a global sense, at least, salmon farming is um, is attracting, um, continuing to attract investment, despite uh, what's happening with Nova Austral and despite some of the other uh, other controversies, because we do have. Uh, Pamela Anderson that's going to be protesting up in BC uh, soon, which is interesting. Former Baywatch star Pamela Anderson. And <laughs> our readers seem really worried about it. They're reading a lot about it. But anyway, aside... Yeah, it's a concern. Yeah. Yes, it's a major concern. Um, but besides that, uh, and besides what's happening with Nova Austral, the skies are pretty sunny for salmon farming right now. Um, and to take a sharp right turn here. Um, John, this is fascinating, but the French health, beauty, cosmetics, we were arguing over how to describe the company, but La Satin, uh, which yeah. you can find all over the world now in pretty much every mall and yeah, um, pretty much yeah, every place where there's uh, high-end um, high shops. Um, they actually are backing the the small land-based, uh, well, I, I don't know that we could call them small because they continue to grow, but uh, Salmon de France, why on earth are they interested in this? They're backing land-based uh, aquaponic um, projects, but also um, they have a sea trout farm off the coast of Cherbourg in uh, northern France uh, as well. Um, it... it it's difficult to say why they're doing it, but um, what you can say is that the owner of AMP, uh, someone de France, um, Pascal Gourmet, is a very well-connected uh, businessman um, with with links to uh, L'Occitane through um, its uh, family log investment company. And uh, I think what you can say also is that you know, I think it's really one to watch for the future because it's sort of started small scale and it's been making acquisitions here and there. And it's got 50 uh, plans for 50 uh, projects, aquaponic projects um, in France, including um, in the centre of Paris and in the La Défense district, which is the sort of financial district in, in Paris and, and various other places across France as well. So, um, I mean, they, they, they've got a, a target at the moment of a few thousand tonnes, but uh, he's, I mean, they agreed to speak to me next week about that. It'd be interesting to see, you know, how high they're going to raise the target in, in the future. And this latest acquisition of the uh, trout producer in um, Normandy sort of adds to that. And, and also recently they uh, signed a deal with uh, one of uh, France's leading um, seafood canners, uh, Petit uh, Navire uh, to sell um, fresh or, or should we say uh, smoked trout in a chilled uh, form on, on a seasonal basis. So there's so much going on in that company. You know, they, they seem to uh, you know, be doing something all the time, really. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because certainly they've got the money. It would be interesting to see if they were to make um, any larger plays here. But it, it seems to me that their their concept here is to... Um, really focus on niche, well, not niche markets, but larger metropolitan markets uh, with these uh, with these niche produ production systems. They're, they're, they're sort of piecing together a small empire at the moment. Um, I, I, you know, I, with with the Petit Navire 
um, deal, for example, you know, this this restaurant will be uh, available across France. But as, as you mentioned, uh, uh, their salmon is on sale uh, when available in uh, on the Champs Elysees, uh, the uh, prestigious avenue uh, in Paris, in the in the L'Occitane outlet there. All right. So, is there any synergy between the salmon and the uh, cosmetics and beauty products? Um, not, <laughs> not not in a straight line way, but I think you can. You know, they they they, they use that prestigious particular prestigious outlet to, to showcase their products, which is a product, products as much as anything. I think that would be kind of interesting. Oh, de salmon. Well, all right. Uh, if that happens, uh, I'm sure it'll be all <laughs> over it, John. Well, let's end it there. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will be back next week. And Intrafish will be hosting a couple events coming up in the next two months. We hope you will join us. One will be the Salmon Summit during the Aquanor Show in Trondheim, Norway on August 21st. And then less than a month later, we'll be in London for our Seafood Investor Forum with DNB. So don't miss those. Thanks, everybody.